and welcome to another On The Hoof podcast episode for Vets in Practice. I'm Alison Braddock, SRUC Veterinary Services, and I'm joined today by Lorna Shaw, who is an SAC consultant and a specialist in ruminant nutrition. In this podcast, we'll be looking at the importance of nutrition in the pre-lambing flock and how to ensure we're giving lambing a good head start. And this podcast complements the VET CPD Bite Size webinar and more information is available on the podcast notes. So a warm welcome, Lorna, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Alison. Thank you for having me. So... So, so Lorna, why is it important that we get the nutrition right for use in the run-up to lambing? Oh, I think it goes without question that nutrition is one of the most important like factors pre-lambing um, into ensuring the success of lambing. So use nutritional requirements in the run-up to lambing is particularly those last six weeks um, in particular, probably from eight weeks onwards, um, increase dramatically so energy actually almost doubles protein requirements increase by about 50 percent and that's all due to this growing fetus doing the last about 70 percent of growth in those final six weeks so we really need to look after use and if we're looking after them they'll pay back for us we'll have nice healthy lambs good lamb vigor and um also um good good a good plentiful supply of colostrum, which as a as a farmer, um ourselves, like I grew up on a farm, if we don't have colostrum, it is an absolute nightmare at lambing time. So just getting nutrition right can go a long way into a happy lambing as well as a successful lambing in terms of um flock production. Thanks, Lorna. That's a really important point about the colostrum. So how early would you ideally start planning the pre lambing nutrition? I don't think it's ever too early to really start planning pre-lambing nutrition. Um, the key to managing any successful ewe flock is year-round management, not just focusing on one one stage of production in particular. So making sure ewes are in a good condition in the run-up to lambing is always essential. Um, once we have our forage harvested, as soon as we can get that analysed, it's really good to start looking at analysis and know what we've actually got for the upcoming lambing season ahead. So how good a quality forage have we got? Have we got enough of it to feed the ewes to get them through to that lambing period can also be a really big factor. If we we can't run out of a good quality forage just before lambing or we're really into big problems and we have to change systems. So that planning ahead can start as early as, you know, kind of late summer pre-tupping just to make sure that we're, we're getting ewes prepared in time. Um, in terms of when we're really stepping up, feeding that kind of final eight weeks is a good time to start thinking about feeding. But ideally, we should have a plan in place long before then and, and know what we're what we're needing. It, it's, it is difficult for farmers, especially those lambing maybe um, kind of, you know, eight, April, May time. So these systems are really reliant on grass. But as we've seen in previous years, we, we don't know how spring's going to be. So, you know, we're maybe relying on grass-based system but if grass doesn't grow we need to make sure we've got a backup plan as well so having an insurance plan in place can be really really important. So Lorna how do feeding systems potentially impact on pre-lambing nutrition? 
So there's multiple different feeding systems we can choose pre-lambing. Um, so this can differ from solely grass-based, mm-hmm. um, grass complemented with forage and or concentrate, um, or we might be housing ewes, so just feeding them forage and concentrate, or some systems might even go for a total TMR-based system um, if they've already got a um, mm-hmm. mixed ration mixer wagon on farm. So all these systems can vary in the way they're fed. If we're looking at a total mixed ration, we're feeding ad lib. We can often find the intakes on these rations can be a lot higher. So up to 15% higher intakes on an ad lib system has been seen before. So, you know, use are capable of eating quite, quite a bit on these systems. So that can really impact on how we're mm-hmm. providing nutrition to the ewe. Um, when it comes to forage-based systems, we see quite a variation in forage quality going through for sheep in particular. Um, and this can range from kind of lower quality hay, so something about 8.5 ME energy-wise, um, only about 8% protein. And on, an, on a hay like that, we, we need quite high levels of concentrate. So we need to think about splitting feeds, keeping feeds even, Timing of feed can be really important as well. The the ewe takes a bit to adapt to a concentrate feed in terms of her rumen and having even even feeds of a nice amount. So maximum can really feed is about half a kilo a day per per feed. Well, half a kilo per feed. Um so and equally between two parts of the day. So this can also impact use performance. So there's there's many different ways of managing systems. It's finding a system that suits the farm and suits the flock as well. If ewes are really lean, we might choose to feed them differently to how we would if ewes were really fat as well. So there's a lot of different factors to consider when choosing feeding system, but ultimately needs to work for the farm and the flock. Thank you, Lorna. So what are the factors affecting intake? Um, so there can be multiple factors that affect intakes of use, um, starting from just the use body condition score. So um, how much fat she's holding on her back. So um, a body condition score is um, a measure of the subcutaneous fat on her traverse processes. So if we look at kind of end of the short ribs, essentially on a use back, it's how much of a fat pad she's holding there. And that mm-hmm. can give a really good indication of her current body condition, which is a much better indication of how she's holding her um, condition rather than weighing a ewe. Because we can get, a, for example, if we had a 70 kilo ewe, we could have a 70 kilo ewe that's really, really lean, but also a 70 kilo ewe that's really, really fat. So our weight's not telling us anything. Mm-hmm. We really need to get our hands on the ewes to, to see what condition they're in at the start. And that can affect intakes with a leaner ewe um, subsequently eating more to try and make up for the fact she's needing that additional energy to try and put fat on her back. Um, the weight of the ewe will also impact her intakes um, and also the litter size she's carrying, um, especially if we're looking at kind of multiples, so triplets. Obviously, the amount of lamb she's got in her is impacting her um, rumen volume. And although ewes are quite impressive in the way that they can um, adapt especially in late pregnancy so they will also adapt in terms of forage type and quality so they'll tend to eat more of a better quality forage so if we had a really good high energy silage 
they'll eat more of it compared to a low energy hay. Um, and that's due to um, rumen throughput also increasing at the end of lambing. So that can also be a big factor in affecting intakes. Um, again, palatability of supplements, frequency and timing of feeding, like I mentioned before, how the feed's presented, how it's put in front of them. Are you putting cobs out into really wet ground? Is it going in a trough? How much trough space is there? Is there plenty of feed access space? And then even the environment, um, are they indoors, outdoors? Have they been shorn before going indoors? There's there's a lot of, I hate the word multifactorial, and I think it's used quite a lot, but it is so multifactorial on on what factors can impact intakes. And it's it's worth sometimes, we all say don't sweat the small stuff, but it's sometimes worth looking for the little things to see what if, if something's not quite right. You know, why might that be? So, Lorna, you've mentioned um, feeding concentrate before. So, can you really just touch on um, flat rate and step feeding? Um, yeah, of course. So, when we are feeding a forage concentrate based ration or even just um, feeding concentrate out of grass, there is a couple of different ways that um, farms may manage this. So, obviously, if we are feeding a a flat rate that's actually what we're doing is we usually feed a kind of slightly lower rate at eight weeks pre-lambing and then at around six weeks pre-lambing we'll up them to a single rate and that single rate will be fed right through to the point of lambing so it won't change we'll feed the same amount of feed right through and and what that actually does for the ewe is you might actually be overfeeding her at kind of six and four weeks and then at kind of from four weeks onwards you're actually slightly underfeeding her but you're not changing the amount she's being fed through so can help it can help farmers in terms of managing you're not having to change every couple of weeks how much you're feeding your ewes um but it's it's really important mm-hmm. that if ewes are going on a flat rate system that they're already in good condition as well and especially for um multiples such as like triplets onwards it sometimes suits them because they're needing a higher amount of feed in order to prevent prolapses it might actually be better to look at a step rate feeding for them um the other way that farmers might feed concentrate is to step it up so that more goes in line with how you requirements go so you're gradually stepping up your feed rate until you reach the point of lambing um so that might step up from um at eight weeks onwards, if you're on a poorer quality forage, if you have a better quality forage, we can probably get away with stepping up from about six weeks onwards. But you'll gradually increase the feed rate either every week or every couple of weeks. And that eases the UN, but you're also meeting her requirements closer mm-hmm. as she approaches lambing. So in the end of the day, if you look at both systems, mm-hmm. you'll probably end up feeding the exact same amount of feed. But it's just changing how that feed is presented to the animal and also trying to ease them in in terms of like keeping room and balance right as well yes that's interesting Lorna so why is body condition scoring important and and what's the best way of doing this um yeah so as mentioned before body condition score really gives us a good indication about the nutritional status of that you at the single time point we are and body condition scoring rather than weight that can vary depending on carcass size bones how many lambs she's carrying body condition actually tells us how she's holding her fat on 
on her back. So it gives us a good indication about what her nutritional status is at that particular point. Um, so it's usually measured on a five point system um, and it can be measured in half scores as well. And an easy way to predict this is actually, if, if you look at your hand, and I'll try my best to explain this on a podcast as I can, but using using your hand can be a good way of kind of determining scores mm-hmm. is just an easy easy check so yeah so if you if you use your hand as a guide and you hold your hand flat and you feel the end of the tips of your fingers where your nails are you can feel it's quite quite sharp there's quite an edge to it and that can be kind of a one one and a half where we can feel feel the if we imagine the back of a sheep just at the end of our short ribs you can feel the backbone it's quite sharp there's not much of a fat pad round it if you then go into your knuckles you can feel that there's mm-hmm. still you can still feel the bone but it's a lot more rounded and you you start to feel a bit more of a fat pad round where your fingers would be so that would be more like a kind of condition score two two and a half and then if we go onto our back knuckles so our rounded knuckles on the back of our hands you know you can still feel the bone and this is ideal like you've got a nice rounded edge on terms of the backbone but we've got a lot more fat padding round either side. So that's probably more a condition score three, three and a half, which is where we're actually looking for a Roland U to sit at around lambing time. And then if we go to the back of our hand where we can't really feel a backbone and we've just got a strict fat pad, this is where we've got U's that are over condition. So it's it's a good way to kind of roughly gauge what you're doing it's really important it's done by one person obviously we all change our opinions and two two folks opinion of one body condition score can be very different so keeping Mm -hmm. it continuous it doesn't need to be as exact as measuring every you and writing down she's a one or she's a four it can just be knowing what your use usually sit at and assessing she's too fat or she's too thin um keeping it simple but it gives a really really good guidance about where that nutritional status of the you is and if she's if she's already sitting lean into lambing, her chances of milking off her own back when she gets into lactation and struggling to then get in lamb again are a lot higher. So it's really worth managing this. Thank you, Lorna. That's a really useful tip uh, and a very practical um, method um, using your hand. Um, so would it be a, a good opportunity to talk about minerals at this point, Lorna? Yeah, of course. I mean, we can't talk about pre-lambing nutrition about without touching on minerals at some point, can we? Um, yeah, so minerals can be a really complicated subject. Obviously, there's loads of antagonists. Minerals go against each other all the time. Um, but especially pre-lambing, you know, yous are already, like, their their immunity's dropped. <laughs> we're, we're all aware of this, and especially especially as vets, vets will be aware of this more than others. But immunity's dropped, they're, they're metabolic, like they're always sitting on an edge no matter how dry, how much you try. So keeping their mineral status right can really, really help balance lambing. So we see a lot of issues about hypercalcemia, magnesium, magnesium, magnesium deficiencies as well around these time. Um, so making sure the mineral status of the ration correct is of utmost importance. The one mistake that we commonly see, and we've been doing quite a lot of mineral reviews on farm, is actually over supplementation around lambing time. It's quite common for farmers to have bolus their use around tupping time. We've got a six-month bolus. That's still 
still um, usable around lambing time. It should still be working. Um, if it's a four-month bolus, it's maybe run out. But um, and then we've got then we've got forage. There's always background mineral from forage. We've also got a lot of feed blocks, mineral blocks being fed at lambing time. These are all mineralized and another source. And one thing to watch with these is the intakes of them and are the intakes um, as the label suggests or are they a lot higher? And then there's also a lot of mineralized U cake being fed at the same time or a TMR where a, an additional mineral's been added in. So it's just looking at the number of sources we've got going in. It's important that we're meeting requirements for the U. But if we are over um, supplying as well, I mean, we don't see as many issues with toxicity, but it's a big cost to the farmer that we can maybe be saving. Um, but yeah, so it's it's just managing the number and amount and making sure that when we are mineralizing, we're mineralizing with a good quality mineral that is going to meet the requirements of the U and prevent issues going forward. There's so much variation out there. Look at labels, discuss with the nutritionist if need be it's yeah it can be a minefield but it's you know under supplementation can cause us big issues but over supplementation can cost us a lot as well so that's a really important point Lorna um so with that in mind uh when would you use forage analysis and and how do you do it so Forage analysis comes in really handy. Um, I suppose at any point in a farming system, we can we can analyse forage from roughly about six weeks after cutting. And usually that's a sample of either um, a core sample from the pit, if it's pit silage being fed, or um, a sample from a, a couple of bales. Usually mm -hmm. we ask for kind of more than one bale because there's quite a bit of variation even as we go across a single field. So... If you've got a couple of different fields, um, taking a couple of bales from each field can give us a good indication about what the quality of forage is. Um, forage forms the base of most ruminant rations, and that's what makes a ruminant um, so special. And I know I'm sad, I'm a ruminant nutritionist. I think ruminants are the bee's knees. But it's quite impressive how they can utilise <laughs> what would be considered a poor quality feed and make it into a high quality protein source. Whether that's whether that's meat, milk, and if you think of the like lambing you, she's doing both of that. She's she's doing it all. She's, she's a pretty impressive creature, really. Um, forage like does make the basis of most ruminant rations. Um, apart from if you're if you're looking at maybe barley beef, which would be completely unrelated to what we're looking at now. Um, but so analyzing that forage, so we know what's the dry matter, how much are they likely to feed or need to eat to meet requirements what's the energy supply from that um forage and when it comes to sheep the better the the higher the better um if we can get really good forage into them it can make a big difference um how much protein are we providing so how much do we need to supplement from other sources um and also another good one um especially from a veterinary point of view is the ash level in forage Ash gives us a good indication about organic matter in the forage, but and that can often be the mineral component. However, if we have really, really high ash levels and the, the main risk area is above 90, and I think 6.3% of samples that came through our lab this year were above 90 um, in sheep silages, that gives us a much higher risk of listeriosis and a likelihood that 
you know, there's maybe been soil picked up beforehand. So that can also, if we've if we've got pre-lambing issues with listeria popping up, looking at that ash level and level in forage can be a really good indicator as to, you know, has it been a forage issue or is there something else maybe going on here? So we've looked at forage, but how do you assess the quality of compounds, Lorna? Yeah, so quality of compounds, um, if it's a bought-in whole compound, UCOB, which is one of the most common feed systems, especially for lambing use, um, look at the label. Always try and speak to the speak to the feed rep, get a label from mm-hmm. the farmer, or if you can't get it from the farmer, speak to the feed company. Um, the label tells us a lot about a feed, so we it usually it'll tell us a crude protein, um, which is the total protein in the feed, so not just the protein that'll be used by the animal. Um, although one thing to watch with the feed label is the crude protein's always mm-hmm. on a fresh weight basis rather than a dry matter basis. If you talk to any nutritionist, they'll talk about dry matter um, till, till the sheep are in the shed, but um, it, it's on a label, it's on a fresh weight basis, so we need to make sure we convert that to dry matter. It's fairly easily done. Um, the other thing the mineral, um, the label will tell us is the ingredients of the feed in descending order. There is actually no legal requirement for energy to be stated on a feed label. So looking at the raw materials can really give us a good indication about how how high energy are the raw materials. Have we got a good level of kind of high energy cereals up there? Um, have we got good quality protein sources high up the label? Or are we are we seeing quite a high level, you know, second, third on the ticket of a poorer quality, lower energy raw material that might be pulling the energy down for the use. So it's worth looking at that figure also. Um, another one to look at is the fiber level, ideally below 10% in a U feed. We are we have fiber from forage. We're buying a U feed to get energy and protein, not fiber. So keeping that level at a good rate gives us a good indication that quality is good. Um, and the other thing is obviously the mineral status of the label as well. Ideally, in a U feed, we're quite often looking at a vitamin A of about 10,000. Um, and we also want to see good levels of vitamin E, selenium, uh, magnesium in there as well. So just looking at the mineralization and checking that it's at the correct level. Um, I've picked up labels before, had a look at them. If you didn't delve in, it actually turns out they're half mineralized. If if you are relying on that feed label, um, on that feed being the only mineral source, you know, are we under supplementing without meaning to just because we've, we've not looked close enough at the label as well? So we'd have to feed almost double of that feed compared to another feed to meet the same levels. So it's worth looking at the label, speaking to speaking to the farmer about his label or contacting the feed company for some more information. They're usually quite good about giving energy. Um, raw materials are generally fairly standard if it's a TMR, but as well, consulting a nutritionist if you've got any questions about these things as well can go a long way to help. That's a fascinating insight, Lorna. Um, so how would you organise groups for feeding? Yeah, so um, organising groups for feeding um, can be fairly simple. It really depends on a number of factors. So one of the most obvious ones would be organising them in terms of how many lambs are carrying. Are they singles, twins and triplets? So so we can feed for the number of lambs we're carrying. Um, another one to really think about is if there's enough space in a shed. And, and this is where this is where it gets difficult. If we're 
for housing animals, we've usually only got as much shed space as the farm provides. Um, for grazing animals, it depends on what grazing is available at that time of year. But um, thinking about separating younger ewes from older ewes. So um, if we're lambing hogs, keeping the hogs separate is usually a given and many farms are really good at this. Uh, the interesting one is maybe thinking about keeping gimmers separate. Gimmers are still lambing their first lamb like a hog would be, even though they're a year older. So they're quite often, if they're brought into the flock, they're, they're unfortunately at the bottom of the pecking order. So they've got increased competition for feed, like feed, even though they're still growing up until the age of three. So they've still got a slightly higher requirement. So helping these, helping these gimmers by keeping them in a separate group can just reduce competition help them milk a bit better a uh, gimmer will always milk a bit less than a mature ewe um, it also leaves her a bit more predisposed to issues like mastitis if she's milking not as much the lamb's got to suck more vigorously and therefore there's an increased risk of lesions as well which can leave her more predisposed to issues such as mastitis as well so just you know giving the gimmer a little bit of special treatment can go a long way just to help her and assist her a wee bit um, also helps her get to our next next lambing in terms of fertility wise. She can hopefully recover a wee bit better if we've kept them separate. Um, another thing to think about in terms of grouping, if we've rattled ewes at tupping time and we've not got as much um, housing space if we are housing ewes, if we can put them in in terms of um, tupping date as well so we can manage what's going in the shed to allow sufficient space. Because there could be there could be three to four weeks in between the first and the last lambs. So, you know, if we can manage this in terms of raddle. Um, one thing that we have came across before is a farmer that shears going into the shed. If you've raddled all your ewes at lambing time, if you're shearing them, make sure you put a raddle in their back to know where they were instead of shearing it off. Because um, that's definitely <laughs> happened before. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just thinking about... That's a very useful tip. <laughs> thinking about the little things. And, um, oh, it's easy to laugh about these things, but I've, I've grown up on a farm and these things happen really easily. It's it's not always the first thing in your mind when you're trying to put use over a sheet and trailer, but if you've marked them for a reason, try and put the mark back on the back. <laughs> Thank you, Lorna. Um, for, for our vet listeners, so as a vet, what type of problems would you be called in to troubleshoot, do you think? I think vets get called in to troubleshoot quite a lot of issues around lambing time. Um, some of the most common ones are things like um, metritis, so difficult lambings, um, where you know, they might need additional assist, assistance, C-section. So obviously feeding, getting nutrition right, not overfeeding can go a long way into reducing, you know, keeping size of lamb sensible, but healthy. Um, if there's sufficient feed space as well, it reduces knocks and hits that might actually move the lamb and cause further lambing issues. So some of these things are probably the most common reasons we often see vets on farm, but also if you know farmers have seen issues with listeriosis, um, things like um, quite a high level of twin lamb. Um, I've seen hypocalcemia, which can rear its head quite a few weeks before lambing as well. And um, in some instances, it's you know they've maybe been ad lib fed and the ad lib feeds went away from them for a period of time. 
and that's actually caused them to go into kind of a metabolic spiral. So these are some of the the really common issues that vets are called in for, and, and a lot of them can be controlled nutritionally. So just managing energy and protein in that ration, making sure we've got sufficient energy, but we're not dramatically overfeeding ewes as well to to control lamb size can go a long way. Um, but also making sure that management's correct, like feeds, if if they're in a house, feeds in front of them. We're, we're avoiding pushes and shoves. Um, we've got sufficient clean water, well bedded. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot of different factors. Another one would be um, things like lamb abortion, and yes, abortion can come from a lot of different reasons, and there can be a lot of um, health-related reasons and um, pathogens that can go into that. But um, another one, you know, if they've been overhandled pre-lambing, that can lead to use slipping lambs as well. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of kind of management and nutrition factors that can mm. ultimately lead to health-related issues as well. So, Thank you, Lorna. We've covered an awful lot of information um for the pre-lambing nutrition. So what are your top take-home messages for our listeners? I think top take-home messages is I mean, nutrition is really, really important pre-lambing. We need to make sure that the rations as well balanced as possible. We need sufficient energy and protein in the ration. If we've if we've not got enough of one or the other, we can't we can't you the you can't use the ration efficiently, essentially. So if we're lacking protein, she is not like not able to use all of her energy. If we're lacking energy, she's not able to use all of her protein, and that protein's actually excreted at an energy cost. So we're we're lacking even more. So keeping it balanced as possible, analyze your forage, have a look at how forage is sitting, and and I think for um for vets going on to farm looking at the forage quality can be one of the first things to assessing is this ration right or is it is it really far off are, are we really missing in is this an energy problem or is this another health related issue it can be one of the first things to look at on farm and also thinking about the number of mineral sources going in are they sufficient are we over egging um yeah it's probably some of the key things and you know Look at the little things. Are you happy? Are they quiet? Are they content? Or are they pushing and shoving? And as soon as you walk into a shed, they're alert and shouting at you for food. It's, yeah, take a minute to sit back, look around the room and, you know, how, how happy are they used in the shed or in the field that we're in? Are they, are they quiet and content or are they looking for something? Are they telling us that something's not right? That's great, Lorna. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. And as I said before, Lorna is actually um, taking part in a CPD webinar for vets, Bite Size, and we'll put the link to that webinar um, on the write-up on our podcast. Uh, so once again, thank you, Lorna, for, for sharing your time and your knowledge with us. Thanks, Alison. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, um, please listen out for future podcast episodes of our On the Hoof podcast series. Uh, and thank you. Thank you.